Get ready to step into scripture with Matt and Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm the author of the book, Step Into Scripture, and this podcast serves as a compliment to this book. I'm so happy to have my husband here with me. I'm Matt Wilson. I'm pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church and the proud husband of Tina Wilson. And we love talking Bible together. We love reading and studying the Bible together. And that's what's going on this season on the Step Into Scripture podcast. We're in season four. We started this at the beginning of 2024, reading the entire Bible together chronologically using the Blue Letter Chronological Bible Reading Plan and the book Step Into Scripture. So we are on week eight, and that is days 57 through 63 in our reading plan. We've moved into the book of Numbers. We're well into that book now. And I got to say, Numbers is a really hard book to read. I love the book of Numbers. Okay, so it's hard for a different reason. Like Leviticus was hard for reasons we discussed in our last episode. Like it feels often like a bunch of irrelevant instructions and we learned that it is not. And if you missed that, you want to check that out in the last couple of episodes. But Numbers is difficult because it's filled with rebellion And I hate rebellion, even though I myself have been guilty of rebellion. Now, Numbers contains narrative, which is the story, and also law. And it's not because this book is a disorganized mess or it jumps back and forth because uh, Moses, who's presumably the author, has ADHD or anything like that. We're going to see the reasoning for the back and forth between narrative and law in this podcast today. And in this episode, we're going to look at five accounts of rebellion in this week's reading and what we actually need to learn from those accounts. I love that you just said that I hate the rebellion. So we're going to talk about five counts of rebellion. <laughs> well, I don't like reading about it, but we need to learn from it, right? Because I don't like it, but I've been guilty of it. And in truth, we all have. And so we need to, we need to take a look at it today. Okay. So let's jump into chapter 11. I, I love that the Bible walks us through rebellion because it's, we can deal with it. But it's also, if you're going to do anything in your faith, you're going to deal with rebellion. Yeah. You know, and it also gives you hope. So it's not all law, it's law. And then we kind of look at, okay, now here's some of the consequences. Here's some of the problems, but also here's where God's at in it. And you need that ability to step back. So let's look at chapter 11. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. I'm sorry, I got to say this. Everybody has had that moment where you've complained about something and the person you didn't want to hear you complain yes. was right there. Yes. And so it says they, in the hearing of the Lord, like he's ever not listening. Right. You know, every time we complain, we're doing it in the hearing of the Lord. That's right. And what does it say? And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. It's not I would funny. cut back on complaining yeah. real quick. It's not funny. This is terrible. This rebellion it is, is terrible. It's horrible. But the, we live in the grace. Yeah. And we forget there is a fire that's going to consume the complaining. Yeah. You don't want to complain about the grace. But I mean, it's, I really, I'm sorry. But if there was some fire breaking out today, I think people would stop complaining. They probably so would. The rabble. I love the wording of the Bible. The rabble with them began to crave other food. This is in verse 4 and 6. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, 
If only we had meat to eat. Tell me, if you've been a part of church for more than five years, you've never heard people complain about needing meat. Oh, my goodness. Just tell me. Different kind of meat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Like there were slaves. And the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I just struggle so much with this. They have God providing food from heaven to feed them. And they're complaining about the meat that they were fed as slaves to keep their bodies alive to do free labor. All right. So there's a a metaphor here, a foreshadowing that's happening. God is leading his people through the wilderness towards a place of rest in the same way God is leading us. And his new covenant people through the wilderness of this world towards a place of rest. But they're complaining. And we complain. And I think that's the thing we got to catch is God is so good to us. Our needs are met. But life is still hard. And so we complain about it, right? And so the Israelites had manna to eat, but the manna wasn't good enough. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life that comes out. We have Jesus. Right. We have the Son of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And that's not enough. Right? Yeah. They rejected God's provisions. They longed for what they had in Egypt. So what are they actually saying here? Life was better before God was with us. Life was better without God. And, and personally for me, I don't think that we, you know, we can kind of lie to ourselves and say, well, my life was easier before I was a Christian. But I think for the Israelites here, they're looking at is they didn't like slavery, but they liked that period in Egypt where God was fighting their enemies, where God was doing his wonders before them and protecting them and bringing them through the Red Sea. But they don't like it now that the law is coming. Right. Because life was not better in Egypt. They were abused in Egypt. Mm. They were forced to work without provision. Satan's lies cover up the fact that you were slaves, you were abused, your children were murdered, you were forced to work with no provision other than what could sustain you to continue working. And they were unhappy in Egypt too. I I see this with people in addiction. We get clean and then we talk about how much better it was before. It's a lie. Right. It's, it's a false narrative that's there. Hindsight's not 2020. You can't trust hindsight. But you can, if you open your eyes, you look at, but life was bad. Yeah. And God is giving us the prescription for a good life, but it takes effort. So this rebellion that's happening is, is a lie. It's expressed in complaining and rejecting God's provision. And there's a serious lesson in this for us today. Our complaining can be an act of rebellion, and most people never get that. Right. And when we complain and we rebel, we're actually rejecting the life God has for us. And God takes this seriously. Yeah. The consequence was fire and a severe plague. Well, we still have a consequence that's ahead of us, a fire. Right. And that's something that's hard for us to wrestle with. Right. So rebellion of complaining in the Israelites And then we move to the next chapter, Numbers 12, and we see another instance of rebellion. Here, Miriam and Aaron rebel. So the brother and the sister of Moses. Numbers 12, 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So 
Moses Cushite wife. Let's talk about that. Cushites were residents of the African region of Cush, which roughly corresponds to modern-day Ethiopia. This is the descendants of Ham. Yep. So let's keep going. Verses 37 and 38 of this same chapter. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them. Also, mm -hmm. large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. So, I share that to say Moses' wife was likely an African woman who left Egypt with the Israelites. She wasn't Middle Eastern. She was black. So that's important. What we're reading here is that Miriam and Aaron had racism in their hearts. She is likely one of these people who went up out of Egypt from Africa with the Israelites. Now, Let's talk about this rebellion, this racism. Racism is valuing one ethnicity above another. And I think it's important that we use the word ethnicity there because as Christians, we reject the idea of race. It's an evolutionary term. We are all one race. It's a Darwinian phrase. Darwinian mm -hmm. phrase. We're all one race. We are all the human race, but we have different ethnic backgrounds. So racism is ungodly. It has no place among God's people. And most people who have racism in their hearts are not going to express that outright. They'll They're deny not, it. Right. They, but they won't say, I dislike you because of the color of your skin. But they will express it in other ways, um, maybe by excluding mm -hmm. certain people from activities. And I want to just share a quick testimony here. When I was a child, um, I watched my friends who were black or biracial be uh, victims of racism. We grew up in a small town and racism was thick there. And this is not, you know, 60 years ago. I'm talking in the 80s and 90s. This was my experience. And my family attended a church that would send out a bus that picked up families and brought them to Sunday services. And one Sunday, a black girl got on the bus and came to this church, the only black person in attendance. And after that, the church shut down the bus ministry. And so my family actually left the church because of it. And one of the reasons that I'm married to my husband today is because the church that my family went to after that event was the church where my husband's father was the minister. And so I was 13 years old and met him simply because my family was looking for a, an integrated church where black people and white people were worshiping together. Sadly, there's still interactions that we have with people today that when we talk to them and invite them to church, people are like, oh, I'm welcome there. Yeah. Like it's a question. Yeah, and that that may be something that people in other parts of the country uh, have a hard time believing, but really here in the South where we are in South Carolina, that has been something that has been overcome and we're still watching some churches overcome in our lifetimes just in the last 30 mm -hmm. and 40 years. So just like that church's problem wasn't a bus ministry. It was racism in their hearts. Miriam and Aaron's problem when they started speaking out against Moses was not Moses' position. It was racism in their hearts and they were masking it under this idea of has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hadn't he spoken through us as well? And, and that motive is revealed in verse one, speaking against his Cushite wife. So they hid their racism under gossip about Moses. Now the next verse, we read verses one and two, the next verse, Numbers 12, three says, 
Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So as Moses is speaking on behalf of the Lord here, he's not acting in pride. He's not acting in error. He is speaking with God and God is speaking through him. That's what's supposed to be happening. So let's keep reading verses five through eight. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So here's the application. Here's how we need to be on guard against this kind of rebellion in our own lives. Not just that we are not committing the sin of racism. That's important. But even beyond that, we need to make sure that we don't allow whatever sin is hidden in our hearts, whatever form of rebellion, be it racism or something else, come out as gossip and slander against others because that's what's happened here. Their sin was that they harbored racism in their hearts, but that was expressed by gossiping and slandering Moses, and that is rebellion. And just like the Israelites' rebellion, God took this one seriously. In the one that you talked about, Matt, burned up the outskirts of the camp. Here, Miriam got leprosy. God afflicted her with that. And, and we know what a big deal that is because we talked about it two episodes ago in, in our episode titled Clean and Unclean. I think an even bigger piece here is we're looking at a jealousy, right? Yeah. And so it's like, has God only spoken through Moses? Yeah. So Miriam had been a prophetess. She had been able to speak. She had sung a beautiful song, right? right? And when God called Moses, Moses was afraid of speaking. So he said, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. Mm -hmm. And he said, you will be like God. Yep. And he will be like your prophet. Yeah. So you're going to speak to him and he's going to speak to others. Right. So at this point, Aaron is set. He's got a script from Moses that's really good and it's powerful and all kinds of things are happening. Now, when Moses goes up on the mountain to be with God to get the law, mm -hmm. at this point, they've had no law. So Moses has had to speak through Aaron. Aaron's had to speak through the people. And now God's on the mountain with Moses and a lot of time passes and the people start saying, what has happened to this man, Moses? And during this time, Aaron makes an idol, right. a golden calf. And I think what's important here is when the person who's writing the script is no longer available to give it to the mouthpiece, the mouthpiece doesn't know what to do, gives in to idolatry. Wow. Right? Yeah. So there are times where as long as I'm taking your words and saying them, I sound great. Yeah. But now the laws here, Moses is speaking. I don't have the script. I don't get the stage time. I don't get the power. And so there's this jealousy of, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God spoke through me too. No, it was Moses speaking and you using Moses words. God right. was speaking through Moses and you were speaking that. And so the thing is, what's really powerful is even when he's addressed about the idol, he doesn't take, he doesn't own it. No. He says, the people wanted this. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out jumped this golden calf. Right? Such a dumb story. And so what we, we actually are seeing here that a lot of times gets overlooked is there's a, a rebellion of jealousy. Yeah. Is now we're not as important. And that will happen 
in your spiritual life. If you keep moving, there are going to be people that don't get the stage time or the power, right? right? And so this happens in chapter 13 with the spies. So they tell them, this is the promised land. God's given it to you. And Joshua sends spies or Moses sends spies. You got Joshua, Caleb, and these other guys. And they go, and I want you to see what happens. This is the report they bring after, after God's men have said, we've got this. Numbers 13, start with verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And just check this out. They're saying stronger than we are, meaning they're stronger than you. So I'm intimidated, but you're not strong enough, yeah. right? And they spread among the Israelites, ready? A bad report about the land they had explored. A bad report about the land God was giving them. Right. A bad report about the land God told them he would be with them to take. Right. And they spread among the Israelites. That's so powerful. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And notice the scare tactic here. And the people we saw there were of great size. Now they go to history, they or to legend, right? We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak who come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Do you see the fear tactic here? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times people read this and they're like, aha, there's more giants. Whether there's giants or not, the whole point is they're turning people away from faith in God right. to fear. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. They've moved from faith to doubt and fear. All the Israelites, now notice what happens when we become afraid. Right. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So they turn against the leaders that are leading them in faith. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? No one's fallen by the sword, Dina. Right. This is a propaganda smear campaign yeah. against the leaders that are trying to get them to obey what God has said. Right. The Canaanites have not killed anyone at this point. The only time we've seen death in the Israelite camp has been what we read about here. The result, the consequence of their own rebellion. And here's the crazy thing about fear. The people, the members of the community saying this have not seen this. Yeah. They're only speaking confidently on lies. Right. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They are proclaiming and politicking for their own destruction based off lies and a smear campaign from cowards. Right. If we look in Exodus, God said that Canaan was a good and fruitful land, and he promised to give it to them. These guys, these guys should have come back with a report that was in line with God's word. What they should have done was right. seen the glory of God, the power of God, the one who has always been there for them, right? Right. They should have given a report that displayed belief and faith in God, like Joshua and Caleb did. So listen to what Joshua says. Numbers 14, starting with verse 7. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Now imagine standing in the midst of a fear campaign and saying, it's good. If the Lord is pleased with us, that's the key. He will lead us into that land 
a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Notice the faith here. We're not even going to have to fight for it. Right. Right? Only do not rebel against the Lord. Now, they're speaking against Moses and Aaron, but Joshua's cutting to it. Right. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. I love it. It's just like this epic moment. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. You would think at this moment, this is that epic moment where the people are like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Instead, they try to stone the leaders. Man. Fear does crazy things to people. And let's, let's take a minute to consider Moses. Um, how does he react in the face of this defiance? He goes to God and he prays on their behalf. Man. The same way he did with Miriam and Aaron. Yeah. He goes and he prays about their rebellion. Moses is outstanding. He prays for the people who want to stone him. And I want us to look at how he prayed. He intercedes based on the glory of God and on the power of God. So look at this. Jesus says for us to pray for those who come against us, to bless those who persecute us, right? And that, that can be hard to start. But in my personal life, I found that it's so much less stress-inducing to take a moment and pray blessings. It does not mean to allow them to continue to hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. But to pray blessings. Look at what Moses says, chapter 14, verse 15. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Verse 19, in accordance with your great love, Forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. There is a messianic picture here. Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. It doesn't mean they're going to make it into the promised land. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to be allowed to defile the land that God has given them. It right. doesn't mean they're not going to pay a price for their lack of faith. But he's saying, God, you don't wipe them out. Right. Give them time. This is one of those moments where we need to know the word of God. So when bitterness can rise in our heart, we can learn to pray. We can learn the right way to handle it. When we go further into the study on day 115, we're going to read those so that prayers, mm -hmm. those moments in the Bible where we see a so that moment and how we can pray those prayers. Um, praying to God to move so that he is glorified. Praying to God to do things for his glory so right. that he is lifted up. These are prayers that invite favor and answers from God. And when they are requests to bring him glory in accordance with his character, he moves better because it's not about us. Right. It's about him. The, the rebellion that takes place here was one of fear and faithlessness. In their unbelief, they reject the inheritance God has promised them. Yeah. They reject the sovereignty of God. No one from that generation, no one except for Joshua and Caleb, would enter the promised land. And that's a consequence. And it's a powerful warning to us as well that if we're operating in a place of fear, especially if we're leading others into it, um, and if it causes people to move into faithlessness and God's people are led astray, these spies that come back with a negative report, that negativity that spread like a plague throughout the camp, we need to look at the result of what happens there. There's a consequence right. and there's no escaping it. Just like Miriam had a consequence, there was forgiveness with a consequence. Look at Numbers 14, 33. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 
years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your body, bodies lies in the wilderness. It's tempting and it's contagious to play into negativity, but the truth of it is negativity, fear-mongering, those things will cause us to suffer and it passes on to our yeah, kids. That's huge that the children here, although they don't die in the wilderness like their parents, it's clear that they are going to suffer they because of skeptical. it. They become skeptical. They become negative. Those things can pass on generationally. All right, so let's pause from these rebellion accounts and talk about the law for a minute. So we've seen the narrative about the general rebellion in the community of Israel. We've seen the narrative about the rebellion of Miriam and Aaron. We've seen the rebellion of the spies who were sent to check out the promised land. And here the text shifts back to the law in Exodus 15. And I think that's on purpose yeah. because what we read in the law here gives us insight into the makings of this kind of rebellion. So let's look at Numbers 15, 30, and 31. It says, But anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel because they have despised the Lord's word and broken the commands. They must surely be cut off. Their, their guilt <laughs> remains on them. Now, just before this passage, God had described the sacrifice that was required for someone who sinned unintentionally, what we would probably call making a mistake or giving in in a moment of weakness or falling into temptation. This is how we would define unintentional sin, not premeditated. But this is different from what we just read about in verses 30 and 31, which is someone who sins defiantly. That's what we mean when we're talking about rebellion, defiant sin. It's also translated high-handedness or anyone who breaks the Lord's commands with a high hand. So you think about this as someone who has received God's command. He knows God's word, but he raises his fist against the God of heaven and says, I'm not doing it your way. That's what this high-handed intentional sin is. And you know, there's, there's times where I've found in my life, the Holy Spirit is clearly convicting me and saying, don't say it, but it's so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I know not to say something sometimes and I just push through anyways. And then it's like the fire's lit. Right. So, mm we've got to be on guard against this, this kind of rebellion because when we pridefully raise our fist against the Lord, when we know what he said to do and we intentionally act in opposition to him, what Numbers says, what we just read, is that there's no atonement for that, that that person is to be cut off from the assembly of Israel. And that sounds really harsh, but I want you to know it's repeated in the New Testament. Yeah. Very similar it's verbiage. More it is. So this is what Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. The same thing we just read in Numbers. There is no atonement, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? So these rebellion accounts, 
man, we need to lean in and listen and learn lessons from this. That's why we have to take this study so seriously, because rebellion against God is a very serious thing that wears out even the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is a, a piece that gets lost in this. There's no sacrifice for sins left. And this, well, let's face it. What is the sacrifice of our sins? Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Well, it's not saying Jesus isn't left. What it's saying is, is you've, you've trampled the Son of God underfoot, his grace, his sacrifice, his mercy. And you've treated his spilled blood as an unholy thing. In chapter 6 of Hebrews, he said, they have crucified him and put him to public disgrace. Yeah. You are an ambassador of Christ, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice atoned you, right? And so now, when you do these things, you are in the face of his sacrifice to a world that sees you as a reflection of him, Dis disrespecting his sacrifice. Right. And so his sacrifice is not over you. Right. And so we're like, oh, what do we do? Are we completely lost? You have to go back to that broken place before. Right. You have to acknowledge that you have crucified Jesus Christ and publicly disgraced his name. Right. That's not a thing to break you down because God wants to break you. That's a thing of holiness. Yes. That's a thing of saying. Because he wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to be pure, but he does not want us to disrespect the sacrifice of his son. Right. Paul makes it clear in the New Testament that all of these journeyings and wonderings of the Israelites are written down to be an example to us so that we don't fall in the wilderness like they did. And so these, these rebellion accounts... Man, we got to learn lessons from these and things. It's, it's so hard to hold on to the Joshua and Caleb story here because of all the rebellion. Right. But there is hope. Yes. There is so much hope. As we look at Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, this one is heavy. Yeah. So Korah, a descendant of Levi, right? A descendant of the priesthood here. Is, he's, he's such a an important figure for this community. He becomes, as it says, insolent. Yeah. And rose up against Moses. And now it's not just him by himself. He gets 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. Influential leaders, 250 right. influential Damn. leaders. And they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. <laughs> Now, just think about this for a second. What have they done other than obey God? Other than obey God, exactly. You've pushed us too far into our, our discomfort. Yeah. You've displeased us too much. Right. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? And there we find the root. Right. We are 250 prominent men, and you're above us but we're going to put ourselves on par with everybody else because right. we're going to act like you're holy. You're acting holier than them. Yeah. Right. This goes back to Aaron and Miriam. Yeah. This goes back to that same thing. So he's lying about Moses, right? He's twisting the narrative. Why? Because Moses is the most humble man on the face of the earth. The Bible right. calls him meek. Right. And God appointed Moses to his position. Moses hasn't acted pridefully. He hasn't stepped on others. He hasn't politicked. He hasn't used propaganda or fear tactics. He's walking in God's ordained calling. And if you walk in God's calling of your life, there will be points. You will face situations like this. Right. And I want you to get this. When people are discontent with the role God has given them, they will very often project their frustrations 
onto others. Yeah. Blame shifting rather than owning and fixing their own shortcomings. Cora believes he's trying to unseat Moses. He thinks Moses, you'll hear it in terms of they, oh, they're too powerful. They've changed. Yeah. They're, they're a dictator, right? You'll hear these phrases. And he wants to take him down as a leader. Divisive and destructive people come against the Lord's ecclesia today because they don't realize it's not the person. This is the bride of Jesus Christ, right? Right. And scripture tells us, this is not a rebellion against the leadership structure. This is not a rebellion against the local church. This is a rebellion against God. Right. Right. So Korah's blaming Moses for not having the people into the promised land by now. Again, the blame shifting. We know from previous chapters, it's his, own, it's his people's own sin that's kept them out. They were afraid. They listened to a smear campaign. Right. And they wouldn't go and take the land. That's what's happened. And now they're blaming Moses for God's punishment. Right. Right. They're not where they feel like they should be. And it's Moses' fault. It's kind of like Absalom. Right. Right. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that but, later. But it's that thing of if I were king. Right? Yeah. And so what's the rebellion here? Envy, discontent with one's own position. Right? Yeah. Jealousy. Right. Power hungry. And what's the penalty? The earth splits open yeah. and swallows Korah and his followers. Fire consumed another 250, and 14,700 Israelites died in a plague. Man. See, the thing about rebellion is it's contagious and it's serious. I say it's like this. This is one of the things that drives me crazy. Jihadists are not just in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And what we see today is it's like a suicide bomber going into the church and blowing up innocent people yeah. over their own cause, right? Right. And so what does God do in the next chapter? He distinguishes his true leaders by making, he brings them out and he has them bring their staffs into the presence, right? Mm -hmm. And what does he do? He shows which leaders are bearing fruit. And here's a beautiful redemption story. Whose staff bears fruit? Aaron's. Here's a guy that was once rebellious and causing rebellion. Moses interceded and prayed for him. He walked through the punishment, mm -hmm. right? And he's a changed man. And now he's a man that bears fruit. And God says, here's a true leader. Right. Right. So that's the beauty of it is all of us have committed rebellion. All of us have sinned. But there is a way we can come back to producing fruit. Divisive people will rise up. They'll try and cause chaos and the contention in the Lord's assembly. It, but we need to be followers who bear good fruit. We need to follow leaders who bear good fruit. And here's the thing. If a leader will repent that has been rebellious, yeah. they can be redeemed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And speaking of. I know, I know. The last account of rebellion that we're going to look at in today's episode mm -hmm. comes from Numbers chapter 20. This is hard. It's very hard. It's Moses' own rebellion. So let's look at verses 9 through 12. It says, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, right? He's sick of the book of Numbers too at this point. Yeah. This is hard reading, much harder for Moses to experience it. So much rebellion. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor wow. me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, 
you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. Now, this is very hard to read. And if, if this is confusing to you, like what was so bad about what Moses did here? He strikes the rock. Must we bring you water out of the rock? You get a little more insight into this in Psalm 106, 32. Go read that one verse. And it says, Moses spoke with rash words. Now, we talked in our last episode about love as an attribute of holiness and love honors. And what the problem here is, what God says, is that Moses didn't honor God when he spoke. He said, must we, instead of must he. There was no we in this. This was all the work of God. Now, throughout this whole journey, this exodus from Egypt and this wandering through the wilderness, Moses has provided us with a picture of Christ, who is our deliverer. We talked about that in our Exodus typology episode. But what we're seeing here is even Moses wasn't perfect. Even Moses, who acted as Israel's intercessor, himself needed a mediator. Yeah. And it's because we all need Jesus. This is ultimately a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do. He was going to be the only perfect leader who could lead us into salvation in the promised land. And Moses walks through his punishment bravely and honorably, right? And, you know, one of the things I wrote about in the 40-day discipleship is a lot of times people will kind of put themselves in Moses' place and complain against their church, complain against the flock. And there's there's a passage in there where I say, well, you're no Moses. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I've had people, they'll look at you and they try to compare you um, as a human. And every leader, every Christian will have some point where someone points to your past or a flaw. And what we do is we instinctively try to fix it or cover it up. And the truth of it is you're not Moses. You're not Jesus. You're broken. We're more like Aaron. We're more like Miriam. And the truth of it is we all have rebelled. We all have sinned, but walk in integrity through the consequence of it back to righteousness. Right. So to close out this episode, I want to bring us back to where we started, which was in Numbers chapter 11. Now, back in Numbers 11, there were some men prophesying in the Israelite assembly and Joshua came to tell Moses, hey, these other guys are prophesying. And I want us to look at this passage, Numbers 11, 28 and 29. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Yes. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So Moses recognized something very important, that it's not about me. And I love how you said Moses is a picture of Jesus, but then there's this human side where he fails. But in this moment, there's another picture of Jesus. Jesus, the one is about him. Yeah. It is all about him. His disciples, so Moses has a young aide that's been with him since his youth. That's a disciple. Jesus' disciples come up to him and they're like, Lord. So we got this this account of where they say people are coming and they're they're speaking and they're they're teaching. And Jesus says, if they're not against us, don't stop them. Right. Right. And I love the same when John's disciples came to him and said, more people are going to Jesus to be baptized than to you. And John's got this beautiful picture that I see with Moses here of in order for him to increase, I must decrease. Right. Right. And so I love this picture as it goes through of 
don't think it's all your show. Right. It doesn't matter if we've got more people teaching about Jesus truthfully, if they're speaking the word of God truthfully, then let them go. Yeah. Right. At the very beginning of this step into scripture season, this Bible study going chronologically through the whole word this year, we made note that something that we have to put aside is self-centeredness. As we're reading the word of God, we have to see this is not about me. Rebellion is about me. Yeah, this is about God. The Bible is about God. It is for us, but it's not about us. And ultimately, that's the definition of spiritual maturity is when we recognize it's not about me. And ultimately, the lesson we need to take away from this episode is that's how we avoid rebellion. Every one of these rebellious situations we've read about was rooted in personal ambition, jealousy and envy over other people. And the way that we avoid that is we recognize it is not about me. That's how we avoid rebellion. Now, a few questions we want you to think about as we come to a close today. Have you ever thought life seemed easier before you came to Christ? That's from that first rebellion episode we read about. Number two, what prejudices in your life have made you mistrustful, resentful, or unsupportive of others? Identify those things like Miriam and Aaron. Number three, have you ever hindered God's work in your own life because of fear or faithlessness? That's what these spies did, hindered it in their lives and in the whole community. Number four, have you identified a calling of God or spiritual gifting in your life? And are you content with that role? Right? Korah wasn't. He was a son of Levi, but he was not content with that role. He wanted to be elevated to the level of Moses. And number five, what pride or preference could you lay down to lower yourself and elevate God and others? And if you're doing that, you're not going to fall into rebellion. So thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to being you So thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to being back with you next week. We'll continue walking through the Old Testament chronologically, stepping through Scripture.